Please pray with me. Lord God, we pray that your spirit might fall powerfully upon us this morning. Speak to our hearts, Lord God. May we be filled up by you. Lord, I pray also that you would give me your words to proclaim to your people today. Lord, and may you transform our hearts through this time with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. So good to see you all today. Well, I brought in a flashlight. Anybody else like flashlights? Yeah, they're pretty cool, huh? And this one's awesome because it's really, really bright because it's got like, I don't know, 4D cells or something in there, which is neat. I I mean, I I love flashlights. You can tell I'm kind of geeking out on this one. But it's got this cool um, bulb in there and then this real shiny parabolic lens that focuses the light, which really projects the light out there. And I've used this thing so many times and it's been there for me at so many different opportunities. And when do you need a light? When it's dark, when you can't see, that's right. And that usually happens not at the best of times, does it? Right, and your light needs to work, doesn't it? And it needs to help you because you need to see. Because none of us, I don't think, although my children sometimes sound like it, operate by navigating with noise. Right, like a bat or like a whale or something like that. No, um, it's not how it works, right? We need light. We depend on our eyes to see. And so that we can move around and get where we need to get without breaking our shin on the coffee table. Right? That's what the flashlight is so important for. But when does it shine the brightest? When it's the darkest, right? I mean, in the dark spots in here, you can see the, the pattern from the, the lens. But like on the stained glass window, anybody see that? No, it's almost like it's not working, isn't it? But there in the dark, oh man, this light shines real bright. You should have seen it this morning before church. It was super bright. I didn't have the lights on or anything. I was in here like, oh, I loved it. It was so much fun. Right? Flashlights shine the brightest in the darkest of the nights. And it was dark in the book of 1 Samuel, right, from our Old Testament lesson. It was real dark. Here we have the account of the birth of Samuel. And it was an inauspicious time. The kingdom was gone to pot, and I don't mean like Northern California. Um, It was going bad, right? Things were going terribly there. The priest Eli... Uh, And what are priests supposed to do? Tell me about what they're supposed to do. Help people reach God, right? They were supposed to be the people who who helped focus the worship of Israel upon the living God. Right? So this priest Eli, he knows his job description. He's got a bunch of tasks he has to do in the temple. But more than that, he was supposed to lead people to God. But he wasn't at all doing what he was supposed to do. He was doing the the rote things, right, like offering sacrifices, keeping the light in the temple on, you know, but he wasn't doing the deeper things that he was supposed to do as a priest. Furthermore, he had these two sons, right, Hopneus and Phineas, right? Don't name your kid Hopney and Phineas. Well, for multiple reasons, but for one, because these kids stunk, right? Hopney and Phineas were no good, Right? They were stealing from the people. They were taking the people's sacrifices to the Lord. Not taking them to the Lord, which they were supposed to do as assistants in the temple. No, they were taking the choicest parts for themselves instead of giving them to God. Was that good? Not at all. And to make things worse, they were having their way with the women who worked in the temple. Right? Is this good? Aside from that, they were doing a great job. Right? They were really doing a bang-up job as, as helpers in the temple. The worst thing was is that Eli did nothing to stop his two kids. He let them kind of just run amok in the temple and destroy 
those times when people would come to the Lord to worship God. So instead of offering their sacrifice to God and being able to focus on their worship of him, instead they were having to contend with these kids who were fighting with them over their sacrifices or trying to um, do unsavory things with the women who came in there. Not so good, right? This is not a plan for church growth, in case you're wondering, right? Um, Don't do this. Uh, Now, if things are that bad in the place of worship of God, how do you think they were everywhere else? Worse, right? The world was just in a terrible state. Things were going poorly at that time. It was dark, dark time. Now, we see this darkness played out in one family as well. Now, the family that we've been talking about is, has the husband, Elkanah, then a wife, Peninnah, and then another wife, Hannah. Is this a good setup? No, no, not at all. Like, this is not a good way to set up a family. Um, so, Hannah is married to Elkanah, but, she, but he's also married to this other girl, Peninnah. And so there's a continual competition for Elkanah's love. Right? They're always fighting with each other and contending of who Elkanah loves the most. Is this a formula for success here? No. Not at all. As though we didn't need another good argument against polygamy. This one, this example here, shows us that it's not a good idea. Now, to make matters worse for Hannah, what can she not do? Have children. Right? And so she gets continually hounded by the other wife because of this. Right? Because certainly in this time, one of the duties of a wife was to bear children, right? And so if she wasn't, she wasn't being the wife that Elkanah, that, that like Peninnah said that Elkanah should have, right? Is this making sense? Right, so she's getting hammered by this other wife, like, how come you can't have babies? And so every time Hannah goes up to the temple, it says that that's especially when Peninnah would get on her case. So what's Hannah going to the temple to do? To pray. And what is she getting hounded about? Not having children. And why is she not having children? Because according to the passage, the Lord had not opened her womb. So she's there trying to pray to God. And she's feeling guilty that maybe she's done something to be uh, infertile. And this other woman is saying that's, you know, it's your fault, whatever. God doesn't love you. What do you think? You think that's plausible? I think it is, man. I think she pulled out all the stops on Hannah. I think she was throwing everything at her. So this poor woman is there trying to survive in a marriage where she is ha- where her husband's affections are divided between her and someone else, and she doesn't even feel like she can be the wife that her husband needs. And she doesn't feel maybe like God's even listening to her. How's that for dark? Yeah, that's a major bummer. So, Hannah's family is dark. So where does she turn? To God, right? To the light. She turns to the light. She turns to God. Instead of piling up darkness like everyone else was doing at this time, Hannah instead turns to God. In our passage, we see Hannah at the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, right? And where the majority of worship of Israel was to take place. And she's there praying her heart out. Why is she praying her heart out? She's sad. And she's bitter. And she's in pain. And she's just gotten hounded by that other woman. 
right? She is praying her heart and soul out because life sucks for her right now. Totally. And she feels utterly alone. She feels so sad she can't even eat. She just wants to... There's no point of going on. She is just done at this point. And so she cries out in her heart, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. She vows that if God will only give her a son, she'll give him right back to God. This woman who wants a child more than anything else in the world is willing to give up her child to the God she trusts. The only one she trusts right now. Now things must have gotten bad in Israel, right? Because here you have this woman kneeling on the steps of the temple, crying probably, praying. She's not praying out loud, but her lips are moving. And what does the priest think is happening? She's drunk. So there must not have been that many people coming and doing this, right? That this seemed like an odd thing, you know? So he thinks she's drunk, and so he says to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. That must have been encouraging for Hannah at that point, you know, at that moment of deep despair. You know, I don't think she appreciated Eli so much right then. But she defends herself, and then Eli dismisses her by saying, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him, which is exactly what Hannah desires more than anything. And we can tell that Hannah's heart is lifted through this time of prayer with the Lord because she goes, and what does she do? Eats. Eats. And why is eating a good sign? What's that? Yeah, she hasn't been eating, and now she has hope. She's preparing for tomorrow. And her face is no longer downcast, our passage says. She has hope now. The light has filled her, and and her outlook on life has been transformed. She doesn't have a child yet, but she has hope. And that is a powerful thing. Now, then the birds and the bees things happen, right? And what's the result? She gets pregnant, right? And then nine months later, what happens? She has a baby. And what does she name the baby? Samuel, because she asked him of the Lord. That's what Samuel means, to be asked of the Lord, right? Samuel is her answer to prayer. Samuel is a tangible sign. He's confirmation that God was listening to her. And so Hannah fulfills her promise to God by giving this child back to the Lord to serve in the temple. And it's in that place, in that temple, that this child Samuel returns the worship of Israel back to the Lord. Remember, can we do some of the highlights of Samuel's life? Anyone out there know it? When he's a little kid, he hears somebody in the night. Who does he hear? God talking to him, right? And God's got this message about um, problems for Eli and his family. And then later on in life, Samuel anoints a king. Who does he anoint? King David. That's right. The king who was, even though David had some shortcomings, David was the king who brought worship back to God. So both Samuel and David worked together to bring the focus back on the Lord. It's this amazing role Samuel has in the Old Testament in the worship of God. 
And it's out of this horribly dark time that Samuel, this hope, is born. Now, God seems to have a penchant for working in the darkest times, doesn't he? Doesn't it seem like that in your life? Right? You see this over and over again in the scriptures. When things seem the darkest, God brings light. Right? To those, uh, as Isaiah says, to those living in darkness, a light has shined. And who is that referencing as we come up to Christmas? Jesus, right? Living in darkness, a light has shined. God has a way of using the darkness to shine his light the brightest. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, particularly given Hannah's name. Anybody know what Hannah means? It means either favor or grace, which are both really the same thing, right? Because grace is God's unmerited favor for us. And Hannah really is a sign of God's grace, isn't she? Because out of something where there was no hope, out of this woman who was barren, God brings hope. And her offspring brings hope to the nation. That's how God works. He, we don't deserve God's grace. We don't earn his favor. We don't earn his love. Instead, he gives it to us. And he gives it to us in our moments of despair, our times of greatest grief, when the darkness seems to be just closing in around us. God speaks to us with his grace. And by the power of the cross of Christ, he redeems our darkest moments. So if you find yourself today walking in darkness, if you find your heart feeling clouded, lacking in joy, full of misery and sadness, if you find your way to be unclear and you feel that there's no hope left, my prayer for you is that God's grace would be poured upon you today, that his light would shine in the darkness, and that it would shine ever so bright that it would transform your heart and mind through the blood of Jesus Christ, so that you can know and love and trust in our Lord as Hannah trusted in him. And may this transformation not just reside in you, but may it enable you to go out into the world and speak the hope of Jesus Christ to a world which is so desperately in need of hearing it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you show us your grace through Hannah. Lord, we thank you that you offer us grace for today as well. Lord, there's so much to despair over, so much cause for sorrow and hopelessness, Lord. But you offer us hope. You offer us light in the darkness, Lord. And help us to turn to you, to turn toward the light, and to receive you, Lord, to receive the hope that you offer us, to receive the redemption, Lord, which was purchased through the blood of your Son. And we pray that we would be transformed through this encounter with you, that we might know you, love you, and serve you, and might share your love with the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.